The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. Welcome to the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. Today, there's going to be a slight change in our normal lineup. Uh, unfortunately, Tyler isn't able to join us this week, but he will be back soon, so don't worry. <laughs> in his absence, I'm joined by none other than the voice of Motown himself, Brad Smith. So thanks for joining, Brad. Brandon, it's great to be here, man. Uh, obviously, I, I can't replace Tyler, but I'll do my very best. I appreciate it, and uh, th- thank you again for joining. And um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to like to hear your thoughts on some of the topics that we have today. Um, so but yeah. before we... Yeah, let oh, me just say, ro- before you get started, man, uh, let me just say, I think you guys do such an awesome job on the podcast. Um, you know, I, I listen to all of the West Virginia podcasts, and I really think you guys have one of the most interesting and, and fun shows uh, out there. So you guys keep up the great work. You're doing awesome. And I'm not just saying that because I know you guys and work with you guys, but I really think you guys do a great job. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's great to hear. I mean, um, you know, we try to put the news out there as it is, and, you know, you kind of take it for what it is. So uh, about the WVU spring game, Akeem Mesador. Jalen Bridges and Sean McNeil. Lots of good stuff that I think a lot of the fans are going to be interested to hear about. But uh, before we start, um, I want to remind everyone to like, subscribe, and comment on our social accounts on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and any other platform that um, we might be out there on. Uh, Also remember to give us a follow and enable notifications. And if you're feeling generous, click on the link in our bio and make a donation to us. Uh, Every little bit helps. So, to jump right in, um, spring game uh, this past Saturday, lots of good, um, lots of interesting things, um, especially with the new look offense. So uh, I think the best place to start is the most interesting topic, and that's the QB situation. Um, kind of going down the list, um, Garrett Green, I have first on my list and uh, want to get your thoughts on him, Brad. Yeah, I thought he struggled. I didn't think he, he looked very accurate. Uh, in the spring game, which was concerning to me because, you know, all last year I said he should have been playing instead of Deggy. Um, I thought I still think he would have done better than Jared Deggy. Um, but I really thought that he'd be more accurate as a passer. And, um, you know, so I was a little disappointed in his performance uh, during the spring game. Yeah, same here. I, I have a couple good things. I, you know, his mobility, his rolling out ability I thought was nice. I think it brings an interesting aspect to the offense. Uh, I do think that he made – what I thought was the most impressive throw of the day on that fade to Prather. Um, oh yeah. To, to break it down, you know, just for, for fans who may not be um, kind of as attuned to the ins and outs of football, you know, the Prather did a great job of shielding um, the defender to his inside and green placed it perfectly on the sideline where only Prather could get it. I mean, that's, that's a big time level throw um, very high level, but that's the high level. Uh, the low levels were lower than the other quarterbacks uh, poor accuracy. Like you said, he was late on a couple of throws. Also had a delay a game in the spring game, which we saw that during the regular <laughs> season and just makes you scratch your head. Yeah, we um, don't want any more of those this next year at all. No, no. <laughs> at least he didn't fumble any snaps. So that, yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, the 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 one saving grace I will say, and I'm gonna get your thoughts on this too, is that in the spring game, we really didn't see any zone reads reads. We saw some draws, and I feel like with someone like Garrett Green who's really comfortable running the ball that it's hard for him to get into a rhythm. 
when he's just passing the ball and running design plays. Yeah, I thought last year uh, we he would have run. The, it would have been beautiful to run him and you know with his own read. I don't think that that's Graham Harrell's uh, uh, plan this year, though, is to run much zone read. I, it, based on what I saw, I it looked like it looks to me like he's going to air it out and he's going to really take some chances. So I just don't know that Garrett Green fits this particular particular offense uh, quite as well as he would have done in last year's offense. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, he was probably the worst quarterback on the day because the next guy. Will Bruce Crowder had a really solid showing. So uh, what did you see with Will? Yeah, he was super accurate. Um, I, I liked his poise. He looked great in the pocket. He was able to move around in the pocket a little bit. You know, I hear uh, coaches still, they talk about how he can, you know, he's a runner. I don't really see it. I mean, I don't see him taking off and getting 20 or 30 yards on a run. But um, he, he definitely can move in the pocket, and he was super accurate. So he definitely had the best day of anyone um, on the spring game. I think so, too. I mean, he definitely showed the liveliest arm. The ball just kind of popped out of his hand, and that's great to see. Um, His ball placement was good. I felt like he was putting the ball in places where receivers could run after the catch, um, that the defenders couldn't really make a play on it, and that's encouraging. And like you said, you know, the poise, he was patient, he was smart, he understood the offense, Um, and I liked a lot of what I saw. I mean, with the mobility thing, he did have a nice – I think it was a draw um, where he looked – mobile but definitely not his most comfortable talent out there um for the bad i I, the one thing i couldn't once i saw it i couldn't look away is that he wasn't going through his progressions he was really kind of staring down receivers one read sort of thing and it was really apparent on a few plays where the play broke down and he would just continue staring down the one guy um that kind of concerns me but it is the spring game and it could be because maybe he's, one, really good at reading the defense pre-snap, or two, it's the spring game, so he's just running the theme. But yeah, he's he's, that, he's inexperienced, too. So, I mean, he he hasn't played – Did he? I mean, he got a few snaps last year, I guess. But, um, you know, he hasn't played in a couple years. And, you know, I, I imagine he was excited and probably, you know, saw an open receiver and took a shot. So, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think he's just – that was just inexperienced, probably. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean – you know, I think with the um, the offensive way it is, everyone's still kind of learning a new thing, to, to your point. And, you know, he, he did show a, a really live arm. I mean, he had a really nice throw down to Preston Fox. That 44 – it went 44 yards in the air. I, I did the math on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a nice ball. It was a little underthrown. But just the way that comes out of his hand, I feel like he can throw even further than that because the ball just kind of – it was a weird ball that kind of hung up there for a while and just died. I feel like if he really stepped into it, he could really wing the ball downfield quite quite a ways as well. Yeah, he looks the part, man. He he definitely looks like he could be. Um, you know, I, I don't see him starting uh, anytime soon. I, I think uh, you know we'll have Daniels and, and Marquio, of course, uh, next year. But um, you know, I'd love to have him as a, as a fantastic backup. Oh, for sure. I mean, JT Daniels. I mean, it's going to be hard to top him. But I think the guy that's going to that I would like to have behind him for the next couple of years is Nico. Um, because he looked great on Saturday, in my opinion. What do you think of him? Yeah, his ability to run, all the intangible intangibles that he brings to the game. I mean, he just looks like he's a winner. He just oozes it. And I would be more confident with him against Pitt than I would be with Crowder or Green as a starter. I just think he's a winner, and he'll he'll get the job done. He'll find a way to get the job done. And I loved how he he looked um, when you know the the offensive line broke down a little bit, and he 
and he ran, he looked like he could really do some damage on the ground as well. Oh, I agree. I mean, I was super impressed by Nico in that game. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what it was because I don't think there's any particular area where he just looked better than the other two guys. It was just the way he played. And I, I think the, the thing that impressed me the most was his pocket presence. I mean, the way he navigated the pocket, regardless of which group was in front of him, was just incredible. Um, that's a really advanced skill that he seems to know intuitively at such a young age. Um, he had a nice arm. He went through, you know, there were some plays where he did go through some progressions. Like you said, the mobility, um, the ability to make plays. He had that rushing touchdown on a uh, when the middle of the field opened up right there for him. Yep. Um, you know, and really the bads are just, he's young. You know, he has little mistakes here and there. There's a miscommunication that he had. Um, but just just young guy stuff. And I have no fear that as long as he's in the WVU uniform, he's going to start one day and be really, really good. Yep. So I'm going, I'm going Daniels, Nico Crowder, and then I guess green fourth. I mean, I, if, if green hangs out. Yeah, I I can, I think that's, has to be the order. And, you know, unfortunately I think that would probably end up meaning that one of green or Crowder, maybe if not both um, would transfer out, but you know, I think that's the way it has to be right now. I I just don't think you can really deny what Nico showed. Um, And Daniel's obviously, unless something, terrible happens during the summertime and he gets an injury again. Um, Those other two guys are going to kind of be stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. What do you think about green at slot receiver? I I think we could use them. I mean, in the game, I I thought Reese Smith did. Okay. Um, I I don't like those jet touch passes to him because I just don't think he has the athleticism for that. Yeah. And I think the only other guy there is maybe Grayson Malisevich who, you know, I, I have a piece on him later on, and I just don't think he's he's it at all. Um, but I would love to see him there. And, you know, you could even move him around. Um, obviously, you need to learn pass blocking if you put him in the backfield at all. But, you know, I think he's a good enough athlete that you could go put him out there as an offensive gadget, and it'd be really interesting. Yeah, he's electric in the fi- in the open field. I mean, he's so slippery, and he just he makes things happen. So I, I'd like to see him have his hands on the ball at some point this year somehow. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you kind of have to with a guy who is that talented athletically. I mean, it's just kind of like a waste if you're taking someone who just knows how to make plays with the football in his hand and either letting him sit as number four QB on your depth chart or letting him go somewhere else. Talk to him, try to figure out again how to get him on the field and let him know that you're dedicated to getting him on the field. Yeah, and I'd be interested to hear if he'd be willing to move to slot receiver if he's, um, you know, He's insisting on being a quarterback, but I just don't see it in this offense. And with the amount of talent that we have on the team right now, it just doesn't look good for him being a quarterback at, at West Virginia right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what did you think of the offense in the spring game? Yeah, so I'm well, first of all, I'm like super excited about the offensive line. Um, you know, it was kind of difficult to get a read on how they did during the spring game. But um, with all the returning starters at every position, I mean, that's huge. Uh, Matt Moore doesn't have you know, any more excuses and uh, the offensive line better be good. So I'm excited about them. Um, Again, we didn't see a whole lot from the um, wide or I'm sorry, from the running backs, but I think Mathis and Lynn J Dixon and Justin Johnson, they all look fantastic to me. And um, I think the same could be said about the wide receivers. There's just so much talent there. Um, I'm really excited about Graham Harrell, Harrell's offense too. They, it, you know, I called, um, 
I called Neil Brown's offense the the van- vanilla raid last year. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was so vanilla. Um, but I'm just excited to see a true air raid offense. Um, and I think we're going to be a whole lot better this year offensively. I think so, too. I mean, I like the plays that were called. And like you said, on the offensive line, I do think that they look solid, even though it's really hard to kind of say since it's a glorified seven-on-seven drill. But, you know, I I like the depth that we have there. We have, it seems like, at least two deep at at least three positions, which is encouraging. Um, So if someone does get hurt or someone just underperforms, we have another body to put in there. And it was hard for me to tell at times – Again, it's the spring game, and you know the, the line play wasn't really full go all the time. But it was hard to tell at times when you had that second group in because it looked like they picked right up where the the first group left off. It was really impressive, but the play calling was encouraging too. You know, we were taking deep shots, we were running a lot of fades, we were running a lot of screens, and I think WV was one of the teams that threw the least amount of screen passes in the country last year. So it's encouraging to see. Yeah that Graham Harrell is going to get the ball in the, in the athlete's hands in space because Prather, Ford Wheaton, and Sam James are just really, really good athletes. Yeah, it's not going to be vanilla raid this year. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be true air raid. Um, man, Prather, wow, what a talent. Um, so super excited about him. And uh, the whole wide receiving core is just excited, super exciting. Oh, for sure. And, you know, to kind of jump into the, the offensive standouts, I, I was really impressed with Bryce Ford Wheaton. You know, he was a guy last year that whether it was Deggy or whether it was just him still developing as a receiver, um, he, he kind of struggled with the things that he excelled at on Saturday, which was going up and getting the ball, making tough plays. He did have that memorable catch against uh, Iowa State. But other than that, you know, he, he really had a hard time fending off defenders, block, boxing them out and just going up and getting the ball. And he did that twice on Saturday. And it was just a great thing to see because, you know, he has the build. He has the athleticism to do that more often than not. And combine that with his speed and his and his strength, he could really become a, I don't know what you call him, a five-tool wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, if, my standout was definitely Preston Fox, of course. I mean, I'm a huge fan, obviously. Uh, super easy to love him. Morgantown native, underdog. He catches. I mean, it really looks like he catches everything that's thrown to him. Yes. And, um, you know, I did an NIL deal with him recently, and he's just a really great kid, good kid to talk to. So um, I hope he gets a real shot this season and actually plays. Um, he looks like he's definitely skilled enough to do it. So I really hope that uh, Neil Brown finds a way to get him on the field. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you have to. And, again, you know, I keep going back to the spring game and maybe – over, you know, look at, you know, overstating some of the things, but what he did, I mean, those are catches that happen in the game that can be made. And I think he carved out a role. I mean, he needs to be getting snaps and, you know, if you need to give Sam James a break or Sam James starts struggling with drop drops again, I would put him in slot or you could put him in there as your number four wide receiver, you know, swap him back and forth between the two outsides and move around Prather or Ford Wheaton. I mean, I think he's a guy who deserves to be in the, top four at least, if not top three, if he outperforms Sam James. I love the two ideas you came up with. Slot receiver, fourth wide receiver, that's a perfect idea for him. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's not going to be quite as athletic as Sam James, obviously, but um, he's not going to drop any passes. It doesn't look like either. No, and you, you need that. I mean, I think that those guys are super valuable. I mean, the one guy that we covered in our top 50 list was that was higher than what I originally thought about going into it was Dekeel Shorts. 
mm-hmm. who not the best athlete, but you put him in the slot and literally it seemed like every third down, every time you were in the red zone, you needed something. He was the guy you go to and he would catch it every time. Those guys are super valuable and you know, you, it's hard to replace them when they're gone. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I I'm super excited about Fox's uh, career at WVU. Um, he's a sophomore this year, I believe. So you oh, know, wow. we got, I didn't we got that young. Three, yeah, three more years of, of Preston Fox. So I'm excited. That's incredible. That's great. And especially with a whole bunch of seniors on the team this year, that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, defensively, um, my top defensive standout, I had a few, but my, my top was actually Aubrey Burks. Um, I thought that going into the season, I'm like, okay, Hershey McLaren is going to be playing free safety. You know, I had my ideas set that who the three safeties were going to be. And I wasn't really thinking of Aubrey Burks, even though he did play a little bit last year, but he just looked different. I mean, he was everywhere when there was a run play. It seemed like he recognized it immediately. He was making plays at the line of scrimmage. He was making plays in the secondary. He was covering guys. He just looked like someone who honestly, probably if he was anywhere near this level, probably should have been playing last year a lot more. Yeah. I think he's going to be a standout too. That's to me. He, he looked awesome. Um, uh, this last Saturday. So I'm, I'm super excited about him. Um, who else did I, uh, I, I'm a little worried about the linebacker position. I, I, I think we need to go out and get another, uh, veteran, uh, linebacker. Um, we're just kind of really unproven there. So, uh, but that was, that was what stood out to me is that a little worried at the linebacker position. Yeah, I, I can see that. You know, I didn't, I was expecting to see Koopja, um, mm-hmm. perform a little bit better, stand out. And I didn't notice him a whole lot. Um, I know just some around plays, but not really finishing. And especially after the spring where everyone talked to him up so much, I felt like he would be a guy that we would see around the ball more. Um, not not that I'm doubting that he's going to be good this year. I still think that his athleticism is, it, it just makes the defense different. And I like that. Um, but I, I thought Lance Dixon was okay. Um, again, not really game changing in any way. And, I honestly thought Linnell Carr outplayed Jared Bartlett because I didn't really see Bartlett. Like, he was out there, but he wasn't doing anything. And I felt like Carr was at least getting some penetration. He was making – he was around the ball a little bit more, making some tackles. Um, But, yeah, you're right. It just – there's nothing flashy that the linebacker group did. Yeah. I'm not worried about Bartlett. I think he's going to be fantastic um, this year. You know, he showed some flashes last year. Um, they're also, it looks like going after, you know, Austin cave from Miami, the linebacker yeah. from Miami. So it looks like we have a real good shot at him too. So that, that could definitely great. provide some depth. Yeah. So, uh, would that, would that be a trade package where it's Mesador for Austin cave? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I don't know that we came, come out on the, uh, better end there, but um, <laughs> I guess we can take it uh, on that note though. Um, I actually had, uh, Jordan Jeff- Jefferson as the other defensive standout or one of my t- two of my three, I should say, uh, defensive standouts, because he was just, it seemed like he controlled the offensive line. You know, he was just controlling that line of scrimmage. And there were some plays where he was manhandling Zach Frazier, which was really impressive to me because Zach Frazier's our best offensive lineman. And if you have someone out there who can do that, um, that bodes well for the defense as a whole. So, yeah, I got a tip um, earlier in the week that we could possibly lose Jordan Jefferson to the transfer portal and from a pretty reliable person. And uh, it turns out, I hope that's not true because nothing's been, nothing's happened since then. So um, I was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty worried about losing him. 
because I think he's going to be one of the toughest defensive players we have this year. Oh, for sure. That would be a huge loss. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like defensive line were really deep, but that would be um, – I'm not sure how he would cover for that loss because his size and just from what I saw in the spring game, I mean, um, th- there's just no one else. I mean, maybe Jalen Thornton, but I'm not sure if he's ready yet because I didn't really notice him that much on Saturday. Yeah, losing him with Mesador, that would be <laughs> that would be disastrous. Yeah, we'd be playing three 260, 270-pound guys on the line again instead of uh, yep. having – an actual nose for once. Um, Last guy I have is Andrew Wilson lamp. And it wasn't really about his overall performance, but the way he finished, um, he was super impressive, especially there towards the end. And the one thing that I noticed is that they were moving him around and he was covering Prather. He was covering um, Bryce Ford Wheaton on the other side. He was covering Sam James at times. It it seemed like they were really just testing him, getting him reps because it feels like, you know, they trust him and, there at the end, he was going man to man, making plays and just look really good. And for a redshirt freshman, I mean, we need him to step up and he made me feel a little bit better. Yeah, he's he looks really long and, and lanky and um, like a super athlete. So um, I think he's going to do great. I, you know, I, I, he may go through some struggles uh, this next year, but um, yeah, I think he's going to have a, a really nice career for sure. Um, so the next thing I have a couple of, uh, poor performers slash disappointments, um, to cover. So I didn't know if you had anything to highlight in this character that you wanted to share. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that it was, uh, necessarily his fault, but I was really hoping to see more of Lynn J Dixon. Um, I, you know, he had that one touchdown, but he really didn't get many chances to, to show what he can do. Um, and so really not his fault, but I, I'll go with Lynn J. Dixon just because he didn't really get much of an opportunity. I actually had him as one of mine, too. And, you know, just because he didn't really make any plays. And when he was out there, there are a couple plays that he did make that, you know, kind of made me like, hey, I want to see a little bit better. Um, the, the one play that, um, you know, I was watching that I just kind of scratched my head on was uh, there was an outside. Um, I think it was an outside zone play where he was going to the right. And he cut it back and ended up losing two yards. But if he would have kept going to the outside with his speed, he probably would have picked up eight or nine yards. Um, and it's just one play, but you know, I I, I want to see good vision out there. And then he also had a a missed block on a pass protection. But I think those two things just stood out because other than the touchdown, he like you said, he just wasn't getting touches. So the bad just stood out more than the good because there wasn't really much good to see. Yeah, what I from what I've heard from him is that you know, it, he's a threat to, to take it to the house every time he touches the ball. And, you know, he averaged, what, six yards a carry at Clemson. Um, so I, I didn't see that kind of explosiveness on Saturday at all from him. Yeah, and the last one is kind of a, a nitpick. Um, I think I pick on him too much, but uh, Grayson Malisevich, I know he's just a walk-on, but he, he had a lot of praise coming from the coaches um, this spring and you know, it felt like he was in the mix to see playing time at receiver, um, at least in a reserve role. But just from what I saw in the spring game, he really didn't seem like that guy at all. Um, it just doesn't seem like that's his role. He's great on special teams, but, um, you know, he missed some blocks, really bad blocks. He ran some bad routes, um, didn't make some plays on the ball. So, I, you know, I know he's a West Virginia kid. I know he's a walk on. But, you know, I definitely think he should just stick to special teams because 
at receiver. He just doesn't seem to have it. I don't know how he gets playing time over Preston Fox this year. Um, I, you know, he's certainly not more of an athlete than Preston Fox, and he's um, he's not as, he's not going to be as productive as Preston Fox. So, I, I I would really hope that Fox gets playing time over him this year, 100%. even though he has more experience. Yes, yes, one hundred percent agree. I mean, I think I, I'm a Preston Fro- Fox truther now after watching that game. I, you know, I think <laughs> we all unreal. are. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so any closing thoughts on the, the spring game you wanted to share? Were, were you impressed with everything that you saw? I mean, to me, what stood out, what I'll remember about the spring game is, is the offense just looks so much uh, more open and, and it's going to be, it's, it, it just felt like a breath of fresh air to me, um, with Graham Harrell's offense. So that's what really stood out to me. Yeah. Same. You know, I liked just the the way that we were making play calls, like I said earlier, you know, the variety of play calls that we, we ran the solidness of the offensive line, um, you know, and the way that the secondary didn't look that bad, especially in the second half, they really kind of solidified and played a little bit better. So um, it, it left a pretty good taste in my mouth. Um, and I think it made a lot of WV fans feel better about the direction of the program after all the positive news we've had in the past few weeks um, you know, momentum's trending upward. Um, I just hope that going into September, we can keep up this up this momentum with a big win at Pitt. Yeah, I feel much, much, much better about the football program than I do the basketball program right now. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, one kind of sour note to to touch on is Mesador announced his um transfer intention next week to go to the Miami Hurricanes of Florida. Um, he is the third player from WVU to follow a die, whether it be to to whichever school a die is coaching at. So, a um, little, little little fishy there, but you know, players do end up going to coaches they are familiar with. But it is something that the WVU fan base has been harping on for the past few days. Yeah, for sure. And I think I'm I'm probably in the minority here. I, I think Adai, I don't think he's really done anything um, wrong. I, I don't think he's guilty of tampering or poaching. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like you said, it's kind of natural for, for players to follow a coach that they like playing for. You know, he brought Tony Fields and Scott, Scotty Young over from Arizona. Um, and, you know, Graham Harrell brought, well, not necessarily brought, but, um, you know, JT Daniels followed Graham Harrell to West Virginia. And we wouldn't have had a chance at Daniels without Harrell. So, uh, to me, I I I, I think that that uh, Adai is doing a great job at where he's at, and I don't necessarily think he really owes anything to to West Virginia University. I think, um, and Neil Brown should have probably never let him go. He's a he's an awesome recruiter and a and a great coach. Yeah, I I, I still like Adai. I, I wouldn't shun him from the state. Um, you know, I do think that. Whenever a West Virginia player is in the portal, I don't think that should stop a die from going after him just because of fear of the fan base. Um, the only thing that would kind of turn me off and make me leave a sour taste in my mouth, I guess, would be if there was any sort of um, communications going on before the transfer, which there's no indications of that. Um, that's textbooks tampering. But, you know, if Messador was looking to leave for whatever reason, I don't buy the the player safety excuse he made. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if there was any reason for him to go you know it's fair game i mean i'd rather have him playing for a die even though it's in miami than some to pit 
or Marshall or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, the Tyke Smith example, um, Tyke, I think, was headed out anyway. Um, you know, he liked to die. That was his position coach. He followed him. So to me, that's not really shady. Um, the Daryl Porter Jr., he was from that area. Um, that doesn't seem super shady to me. And, um, and, and of course, he knows a die. So he's like, yeah, that, seems, that makes sense. And um, the only one that is a little questionable is Mesador. And I think the reason it's questionable is because of what Mesador said about <laughs> the safety being an issue. So I don't know. I, I think a die has been kind of unfairly blamed here a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, the one thing that I thought was interesting about a die, or not a die, Mesador, I'm sorry. Uh, was that, you know, he wanted a guaranteed job and he wanted to play more outside defensive end. And I, I was looking at the the, the current depth chart at, at Miami and it's it's interesting. This It's going to be interesting to see where he ends up playing because right now on Miami's roster, they have nine defensive ends. Um, six of them are former four stars. They have two transfers from the Pac-12, one from UCLA, one from USC, and another transfer from UAB who had um, who was their leading tackler last year. So there's a lot of experience there. They are thin at defensive tackle, so I do think that Mesador fits in there pretty well. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how these excuses that Mesador makes kind of fizzle away as his playing career continues. Yeah, it's also interesting to think, did you know he approach the West Virginia coaching staff and say, hey, this is like a make or break for me if I – I, I want to play at this position, and if not, I'm going to transfer because I, I don't think I, I don't think Neil Brown would would say no. You're not going to move your positions. I think you'd put him wherever you know he wanted to be to keep him there at West Virginia. So I, I just the whole way that Mesador handled it was kind of bizarre. Yeah, for sure. You know, I definitely would like to see, um, you know, just, just him handle it better. Just say if you want to go on the bigger programs, get more NAL money, say that. I think that's acceptable to say in 2022. Yep. Um, so next, that's the end of football. We'll jump to basketball. So uh, Jalen Bridges has announced his transfer destination. He will be continuing his Big 12 career with the Baylor Bears. So what do you think of that, Brad? I mean, I'm a big Jalen Bridges fan. I, I'm, I'm a little torn. I, I think he has potential to, to average 15 points and probably seven or eight rebounds on a team that, you know, can compete for a national championship. Um, I love his talent, but he's just way too passive last year. Um, and I, I don't, I, I don't know if that's just who he is or if it, if that's what Huggins wanted him from him this last year, which I can't imagine because we really didn't have much scoring, but um, I don't know if you heard the interview with Bridges on ESPN. He's, he kind of implied that he wasn't happy with the amount of shots that he was getting. And, so maybe that was the role that Huggins wanted him to, to play. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't, it, it, it's, it's, I wonder why he decided to leave. Um, he would have had the opportunity to be the featured player and the top scorer on his hometown team. I mean, his situation next season just seemed perfect to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think with um, Bridges, you know, there were just so many opportunities where I felt like he could have contributed more. There's open shots. He passed up. There were open drives he passed up. Um, I feel like his scoring and lack of shots was on him. Um, I do you know, too. And just, just, just to be blunt, but, you know, going to Baylor, it's going to be interesting because they recruit a lot of really good athletes, a lot of players similar to Jalen Bridges. So if he's not going to be aggressive and he's going to, you know, have 
sloppy defense whenever he's not getting his shots. It's going to be interesting to see how he fits. Yeah, and, I, and I'm excited to see him come back to the Coliseum. I think that's certainly going to be an interesting storyline. Um, I, I don't know. He could either he could average eight points and five rebounds again next year, or he could, you know, if he gets more aggressive, he can he could be a star. And you know, I hope I wish him well, and I hope he plays in the NBA one day. Um, I think he has the talent has to do it. Talent. Oh, for sure. You know, I think he definitely has the ability to play. It's just how he's gonna how he's gonna apply himself. Yeah, he he seems to he seems to lack fire. He seems to lack passion for the game. Yep, for sure. Um, the last thing on my list is Sean McNeil uh, choosing his transfer destination, choosing Ohio State um, to finish off his college career. So, what do you think of that move? Yeah, I had a. I, I actually was writing an article about Sean McNeil, and I, I there was a quote that he said. Um, here's the quote he said: um, "I feel like there's other parts of my game." I still haven't been able to tap into yet. I want to be able to prove on the biggest stage what I'm fully capable of, what I have in my arsenal. And what I'm thinking is, to me, I don't know that he has anything else in his arsenal. I think he's a shooter. And I think he's fooling himself if he thinks he's going to go. And, you know, he's talking about being a playmaker and a leader. I didn't see any playmaking skills from, from McNeil. And I certainly didn't see him as a leader last year. Um, so I don't know I, it, if he if he has those in him, why didn't he show it last year? So I, I don't really know what's going on with McNeil. I don't I don't really get it. Yeah, those comments are interesting, especially combined with Bridges. I mean, I think it just kind of goes to show there was some sort of dysfunction in the locker room last year. Um, and that's a little concerning. But, I, you know, I think that's why we saw so many players leave um, and Huggins is taking care of it. But, you know, I do think as long as McNeil was willing to take on a secondary or tertiary role at Ohio State, he should be pretty good as an off-ball shooter because, like you said, that's what he does best is shooting. Yeah, he'll average double digits probably next season, and, um, you know, then he'll go play overseas. And, and to me, that's who he is. He's he's a really solid shooter, and I don't see much more. I, I don't see him as being a playmaker, um, not a great athlete. And I, I, again, I don't think he's a great leader either. No, you know, I, that's fine. He can be, you know, just a solid role player, but yep. it's about buying into that. And I, I feel like he bought into that during his years at WVU, but um, I like that he has confidence in himself, but I really hope that he can kind of settle back into that shooter role and not trying to do too much because, you know, that's going to help him make the most money overseas. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was it was strange to see at the end of the year, um, McNeil. Whew, he really disappeared towards the end of the year, and really, um, you know, Bridges disappeared throughout the year at times. But um, McNeil, it just felt like he he really didn't even want to be out on the court anymore. So I, again, like you said, there could have been some kind of dysfunction or something in the locker room, but something wasn't right with either one of those guys at the end of the year. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, you know, I hope they both do succeed at their next destinations. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm excited to see them, you know, make some money professionally. But um, ultimately, really looking forward to this next basketball season. So it's going to be very interesting. And you still have one scholarship left to fill out. Let's see who Huggins goes and gets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, think we need a, I think we need a wing. I think we need a shooter. I think we need somebody that can score. Uh, right now, I don't really know who are who our leading scorer is going to be. That's kind of concerning. I don't really know who 
we can count on to to you know have a big game this year. Yeah, I like um I forget his name. It's the kid who's transferring from DePaul. Um green maybe or white. It's some oh, really James, common David, name. David Jones. David Jones. Yes, David Jones. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, he looks awesome. Um I, I that would be a dream scenario, I think. He's he's being pursued by like Kentucky and pretty much every big program. But wow, yeah, he looks he looks the part. He looks like he could score. He um, get to the basket. He could shoot the three. Um, and I think he averaged like seven or eight rebounds per game too. Yeah. I think he'd be perfect. And he's from um, West Virginia in some way, shape or form, right? Yeah. He played uh, high school basketball at uh, Scott Depot. Um, yeah. Nice. So, yeah. So he definitely has a connection to the state. So that would be huge. Yeah. Let's bring him home. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all I had. Um, thanks for joining today, Brad. And, you know, everyone, let us know what you thought of the episode. Um, thanks for listening. And don't forget to check in again next week. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, let's go Mountaineers, man. This is the voice of Morgantown Podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cork. And this is a WVU Sports Podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, today we are going to record two podcasts again, just like we did last week. First, we are going to share our thoughts on WVU's victory over Virginia Tech. And then we are going to break down the Texas game down in Austin. So be sure to check out that after this episode. So let's dive right into it. The West Virginia Mountaineers defeat the Virginia Tech Hokies by the score of 33-10. to And even though Tech isn't a very good team this year, it always feels good to crush a rival like that. And that 23-point win was the biggest West Virginia has ever had in Lane Stadium. So what are your initial thoughts on the game? I thought it was a great win, especially, you know, with a a fan base that still wasn't completely sold on the direction of the team. Um, Going into Lane Stadium isn't easy, regardless of how good or bad Tech is. And um, there's definitely a lot of question marks around WVU and Texas Tech. So um, I think it helped, you know, at least me personally, um, as a fan, understand that our team maybe isn't as bad as we initially thought. Um, That combined with Kansas being 4-0 obviously kind of lightens the the concerns a little bit. But it was great, obviously, to bring the Black Diamond Trophy home. Yeah, 100%. A very satisfying win. I think you're right about that. And, you know, anytime you can get one over a bitter rival that way, uh, it feels good. And it was a great momentum starter, I think, heading into um, this game in Austin, Texas, because that's going to be a tough road game for the Mountaineers. But, um, you know, I was thinking, I was kind of comparing this win to last year's win against Virginia Tech. And last year's win, you know, although it felt good to, when after that, um, you know, that rivalry was gone for a few years, it still kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth how we won the game last year. Whereas this one, there's no bitter taste. The game was very satisfying. Our offense looked great. The defense had a rough start, but was able to pull it together. And they had a pretty strong showing overall. So, you know, yeah, just feels good to crush Virginia Tech in that fashion. Um, we do have to be a little honest. Virginia Tech bailed us out a couple times on some key plays. Like some of the ones that come to mind is the roughing the passer call on fourth down, um, which helped WVU extend a drive and score. Um, and there were several other examples, not jumping on Reese Smith's muff punt. That could have been a big game changer. Calling a QB run up the middle on fourth down with Grant Wells was a bit of a head scratcher um, to call a play like that in that situation. 
twice Grant Wells missed wide open guys downfield. And there was a ton of penalties. Fortunately for us, 15 of them were on Virginia Tech for 132 yards. Um, But you know what? I'll take it. You know, West Virginia played a better, a cleaner game than Virginia Tech did. And that's all part about being a good football team. So many times we hop on this podcast and talk about how, you know, we're not playing a clean game and that's why we lost. I'll give our players and coaching staff credit. I mean, they were the cleaner, smarter team. And because of that, they absolutely crushed Virginia Tech and got their biggest victory ever in their stadium. So great way to head into a tough stretch of WVU's schedule. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think, you know, kicking off maybe on the offensive side of the ball, you know, I think the matchup to watch going into that week was our offensive line versus their defensive line. Um, you know, their front seven has been tremendous. Their secondary hasn't really been Virginia Tech's secondary hasn't really been bad all year either. But, you know, the big question mark was going to be how is our offensive line going to perform when they've had, you know, some ups and downs. You know, the numbers look good against Pitt, but if you dig in a little bit deeper, you saw that JT Daniels bailed out the offensive line quite a bit. Um, against Kansas, they couldn't really run block to save their life. And against Tosin, it was Tosin, so it really didn't matter. Um, we actually dominated uh, a quality front seven um, and really established the run. You know, I, I think CJ Donaldson continued to reassure everyone that he is just a, a superstar. Um, Justin Johnson had a really, really nice game stepping in. Um, you know, uh, overall, I thought, you know, the offense looked really good and JT Daniels didn't really have to do too much, which I'm fine with, you know, I mean, he still passed for 200 yards and a touchdown. Um, he was efficient, completing about 66% of his passes. Um, you know, I really can't complain about it. I mean, Caden Brather carried the offense because Virginia Tech was really focusing on Bryce Ford Wheaton. And I think there's just so many ways that you can look at what the offense did um, on Thursday and, and see that, you know, things are trending in the right direction. Not that they weren't offensively, but some of the question marks that we had, you know, a few weeks ago about, you know, who's the number two receiver? Um, how's the running back room going to shake out? And how's the offensive line going to stack up against quality opponents? We've got some really good answers on Thursday. So, um, you know, I'm really satisfied on that side of the ball. How about you? I'm with you. I mean, that you could argue that's the best defense WVU has played up to this point. And I, I, I thought WVU's offense passed the test. JT Daniels had a bit of a rough start to the game. Um, but he showed why he's so valuable because he bounced back and ended up having a solid night overall. And from all accounts, the people who were there, it was a very, very windy day, which, um, you know, could have played a factor in him missing a few of those early, um, I don't know. It was was just kind of off for JT Daniels, but like I said, overall, he bounced back and had a great second half. Um, he drove WVU down the field twice before stalling out early on, having to settle for field goals. Um, That's really the only thing, if you're trying to be nitpicky, you can complain about, is WVU struggled a little in the red zone. They had two field goals, two touchdowns on five trips, but honestly, that fifth trip was the kneel downs. So you could say, really, they went four for four, two field goals, two touchdowns when they made it down there. Um, But after that, I mean, I, I, I just thought he was on fire overall. He orchestrated a beautiful drive to close out the first half and connected on a 24 yard pass to Sam James and, um, and, and was solid in the second. So uh, I really have no complaints about his performance. Yeah. The thing that really kind of sticks with me so far this season is we talked about, 
you know, the past couple of years about how the offense just, you know, whether if it was planned to not score points, you know, to kind of control the clock, um, take the air out of the ball, control time of possession. You know, that's kind of been Neil Brown's MO here, you know, throughout his career. Um, but this year through four games, we scored 30 or more points, all four games. Um, how many times did we do that last year? Once, maybe twice. Um, and I'm not counting LIU. I mean, outside of LIU, I think what Iowa state, um, and is there anyone else? Uh, you know, we've already done it four times. Yeah, maybe I I believe Texas as well. Oh, okay. So so yeah, if, if you eliminate the FCS school, I think you're right. We might've only uh, have went over 30 twice last year. So, wow. Yeah, that is bad, but, uh, yeah, totally turned it around this year. And, uh, you know, you brought up the run game. Let's talk about that because the running backs looked fantastic. They ran for 218 yards. They averaged 4.7 yards a carry. And it was really from all three guys. C.J. Donaldson finished with 106 yards. Justin Johnson had 83. And Tony Mathis had 38. So great team effort. Um, What's your opinion about how those three guys played? I mean, all three guys are, are just really good. Obviously, I think C.J. Donaldson is kind of the, I don't want to say bell cow, but he's the guy that, you know, you're always going to see getting probably 15 plus touches in some way, shape or form in this offense because he's just a, a playmaker. He can break big plays. You know, he's sturdy. He falls forward. Um, you know, you really can't tackle him behind the line because of how big he is. So, you know, I, I, he's established himself as the number one, but, you know, even then he's not a 30 touch guy, you know, you still have Tony Mathis who, while he did fumble and kind of lose um, some snaps to Justin Johnson, this past game has still had some pretty solid games and is still an effective back. I mean, by no means is he someone that, you know, wouldn't make it on another power five school. You know, I definitely think he would be in a rotation in, you know, at probably at least half the other big 12 schools. Um, And then Justin Johnson, you know, we've seen flashes from him over the course of the past four weeks. It's just opportunity. And he finally got over 10 carries. He had 83 yards and a touchdown. Um, he looked quick. He looked completely different to back. That's what I love about the backfield is that two backs brings somebody I think is a, you know, pretty straightforward one cut type of guy. He's going to get you, you know, CJ Donaldson, just you can't bring him down and he can go for a big play at any time. And Justin Johnson is shifty. He's quick. He's explosive. Um, and he's shown that he's a pretty solid pass protector as well. So uh, we have three guys who all kind of fill different roles. And I think that works out well for this offense because you can throw guys in interchangeably. None of them really have any glaring weaknesses. Um, and, you know, I think this might be the deepest running back core WVU has had in a long time, if not potentially ever, because I think we have three quality backs. I'm with you. Uh, it's definitely a good question if um, if we've ever had a running back room this deep. I mean, I'm trying to think. We had like um, Petaway, Kennedy McCoy, and someone else. Might have been Letty Brown. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. But we had three guys at one point that were so good that eventually Petaway had a transfer. But honestly, I would I would arguably put this group over them because all three of them could carry the load on any given night. Um, which is what I love because you've got a guy like CJ, CJ um, Donaldson, who's so good and you want him getting a majority of the carries, but um, 
you know, you don't want to tire him out early in the season either because he's a true freshman. And so in games when you have a big lead, you can stick in Tony or Justin Johnson and maybe rest his body and you don't got to worry about a big drop off. They're, they're very, very capable of carrying the load. Um, I know one thing I did want to bring up, you mentioned to me via text while we were watching that game that you would like to see a more heavy combo of Justin Johnson and CJ Donaldson. And I think that's worth talking about. Um, Tony Mathis had some good runs and, um, but, but I think you're right. I think the combo of Justin Johnson and CJ Donaldson is just so effective because they're the perfect mix of shiftiness and bruiser running that can kind of keep a defense off balance. Now, I don't want my words to be twisted. I'm not saying completely face Tony Mathis out of the lineup. I still want him to see playing time, but I definitely want to see a similar dosage that we saw against Virginia Tech with uh, Donaldson and Justin out there a lot, whether it's running plays, passing plays, because Johnson and Donaldson have proven they're very competent at pass blocking as well. I mean, there's highlights that you can find online of them just lighting up linebackers who are coming in free. Um, and the other big thing with them, they just seem to get yards and bunches where I haven't seen that from Tony yet this year. Um, I know Tony, when he played last year, he was breaking off huge runs in those two games that he played at the end of the year. But um, I'm seeing that a lot less this year from him, whereas Donaldson and Justin Johnson just seem to be able to get you 10 plus yards um, very frequently. So, um I don't know. What do you think about that? Maybe trying that out against Texas. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think CJ Donaldson and Justin Johnson probably complement each other best. Um, I do think that, you know, in terms of skill level, I think they offer the most intriguing skill set for, um, you know, number one and number two, like you said, with a bruiser and more of a quick guy and they're both great in pass protection. Um, you know, I, I think Tony Mathis, it is probably most comparable to maybe like a Letty Brown where, you know, you can kind of do a little bit of everything, but he's not necessarily great at anything. He's just a really solid back where with Justin Johnson, you know, you can kind of see with his shiftiness, his explosiveness, how quickly he gets up to speed, how reliable he is in pass protection for being so young. I mean, a red shirt freshman. Um, and then also, you know, we haven't even tapped into how we can use these running backs in a passing game too much. I mean, Donaldson had three catches. Um, Johnson didn't have any. So I definitely think there's a lot more that those two could do um, in terms of getting out in the flats or running little routes here and there, especially Donaldson. Um, You know, I think those two are the two that would get the defense the most problems. Um, It's really hard to kind of, because it's not like a situation um, where you have one guy who's one dimensional. You don't have someone who you're sticking in there and be like, okay, they're running at this play because that's what this guy's in there for, or they're passing at this play because this guy is a pass catcher and a pass blocker. That's his role. Um, I think both Donaldson and Johnson are at least average or better at all the things you want a running back to be at. Um, And it doesn't allow defenses to key in on any one of them. My only concern about, you know, how many carries Donaldson is getting, and I love how many carries he's getting, how involved he is, is that, you know, with him being so young, it, you know, I, I, you've seen, you know, at least Virginia Tech try it, is that they're just 
trying to beat him up. I mean, there was a, a targeting call there um, that the guy got to- tossed out for. But, you know, guys are just so frustrated. I don't know how to bring him down that, you know, for he's still a true freshman, regardless of how big he is and how much of a beating can his body take over the course of the season when he's only had, what, three or four months of college-level conditioning and weight training. So um, as much as I want, you know, C.J. Donaldson to continue to be the face of the kind of the running back room, I think it's really important to get Johnson involved and make sure Letty's getting in there and taking carries as well because you're going to want – Mathis, yeah, Mathis as well, um, because you're going to want Donaldson in in November. You're going to want him in the bowl game, if assuming we get there. Um, so that that's really my only concern with overloading and just kind of focusing on two guys, because um, I do think uh, Mathis helps Donaldson a lot when it comes to having someone who can run up the middle and handle some of those more physical runs. No, one hundred percent. And like, yeah, like I said, I don't want Tony phased out. Um, I would just like to see those guys use maybe slightly heavier than we've seen the first three games. But yeah, I mean, you're right. CJ even got a hand injury in that Virginia tech game. That's why we, we did see so much Justin Johnson towards the end of the game. Um, So you are right. You you definitely got to be careful about wearing them out. But um, also I wanted to give the coaching staff some credit for holding Tony Mathis responsible for that fumble. I mean, I think that is why his snap count went, down so much was because of the fumble in the game and every week we come on this podcast and say the coaching staff doesn't hold the players accountable for mistakes well guess what they did and I'm gonna give them a little shout out for it so credit where crew and honestly I think it'll make Tony a better player for it I think that might back of his head next time um, he doesn't put two hands on the ball so and also, while we're on this topic, by the way, for all the fans who are saying fire Neil Brown and bring back Rich Rod or Dana, Dana Holgerson's Houston Krugers um, are number one in penalties and penalty yards this year. So sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was always kind of Dana's MO, though, is just, you know, kind of let guys play ball and you know, wild, crazy chaos, play random, I guess. Um, And, and, you know, I do think that Virginia Tech did show some positive progress in some areas that I was concerned about. You know, I definitely think, and, you know, it's something we can maybe talk about after, you know, during the defense or maybe after the defense, but, you know, with, you know, the penalties, the penalties were still kind of high. You know, there were some things at the end of the game when it came to, you know, clock management, um, but I, I think as Neil Brown gets more confident with this group of guys, um, he's becoming a little bit looser with things and maybe it's not necessarily a trend just because it is one or two games like in toasting going for on fourth down multiple times, um, against Virginia tech, you know, holding players more accountable, not being afraid to play more backups. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's more of a, a symptom or if that's more of just kind of a, that's how things shook out. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens against Texas, what happens against Baylor, what happens against Oklahoma. And, you know, if things start going wrong, does Neil Brown kind of shrivel up and go back to his old ways of being conservative or is he going to trust his guys? Cause I think this is a, a team, at least on the offensive side of the ball that you can trust your guys, you know, yeah. and you have enough guys that if someone makes a, 
truly boneheaded play, you can pull them and replace them. Yeah, in terms of offense, I mean, this is light years better than any other offense under the Neil Brown era. So I feel like absolutely he's got more confidence in this group because, I mean, last year, would you feel super confident going for it on fourth and four with, I mean, our offense, if we're just being honest, was pretty bad last year. So we just talked about how they couldn't even crack 30 most of the time. Um, Yeah. But talk, let's talk about the wide receivers just real quick because no wide receiver really blew up and had a huge day. But it was nice to see Prather step up and, um, you know, have the best day out of all the wide receivers. He finished with 69 yards on six catches. And that stat line, you know, it doesn't jump off the page. But, um, if you know, if you, if you went back and saw those six catches, all of them were pretty critical grabs. He made a catch on fourth and one, which helped WVU get a two-possession lead. Um, in the second half. So, I mean, that catch alone was huge. He made several catches on the two-minute drill drive to close out the first half, which eventually led to a Sam James touchdown. But without Prather making some big grabs, we probably don't score a touchdown there. And um, I know you've been waiting for Prather's breakout party all year. So on a day where Bryce Bryce Ford Wheaton was held to just 23 yards, um, it was nice to see Prather step up and make some critical grabs. So I know you had to be excited seeing that. What do you think about Prather's performance? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, he has, you know, some of the highest upside. He has the highest upside on the team right now at wide receiver. And, you know, the the crucial piece with him is, is just getting him reps, getting him comfortable, getting him in the rhythm. And a game like Virginia Tech is something that could really – pay dividends going on because you're getting him, you know, six catches is getting someone really involved in the offense. Um, It's making them feel like, you know, I need to go out and run my route hard every time because they're looking at me now. Um, I think before it was easy to kind of see, okay, well, they're just looking at Bryce. So maybe I can take some plays off. And we kind of saw that in the pit game, you know, Prather didn't grade out very well. He really didn't do anything. Um, He did have a, a nice long or a nice long catch. Um, but other than that, he had a really quiet game. Um, you know, and I think the past two games we've gotten Prather more involved and it's really important to have two guys that you can rely on, on the offense. Um, and that's going to open things up the seam too for Sam James. So, you know, as those two Bryce Ford Wheaton and Prather show that, Hey, you can't just shade over to Bryce Ford Wheaton all the time because Prather's going to beat you. It's going to bring those safety out to the outside, to the sidelines more. And that's going to open up those seam passes like we saw on that touchdown pass to Virginia Tech. It's going to open up that middle. And that's where Sam James is kind of the most deadliest. I mean, you remember what was his freshman year when he had that really big year. You know, he was just catching long passes, you know, in the middle. He was just beating guys with his speed. And you open up the middle of the field. um, You could have three receivers that hit, you know, maybe over 600, 650 yards on this team this year. And that, that would be pretty good. Yeah, 100%. I definitely think it'll have a, a trickle-down effect because we know Bryce Ford Wheaton's going to put up numbers. So if Prather can start getting in on that, um, it's just going to help everyone get involved. The only other thing I have to say about the receivers is I was very glad to see Mike O'Loughlin getting some passes his way as well. Um, it was only three catches for 33 yards, but we've been calling for WVU to incorporate their tight ends since last football season. Um, and O'Loughlin only had two catches heading into this game. Obviously, his injury, you know, probably missed a lot of snaps those first fr- uh, three games. I don't have the numbers, but I know, you know, they were playing backup tight ends a lot. 
So that has something to do with it, but it's it's just nice to see that they're getting him involved. I know he had a bad drop in that game. I believe it was even for a touchdown. So that hurts to see, but um, I I think he's a guy who can make an impact. So I'm glad to see that they were getting him involved in a big game against Virginia Tech. Me too. And uh, over his career so far, he's had moments where it looks like, you know, they're going to lean on the tight end a little bit more. Um, Nothing really came of it, but I think, you know, this year it seemed like at least from the talk that they really wanted to get tight ends more involved in the past game. Um, and it seemed like early on in the season that they really wanted Poland Day to to be that guy. Um, he obviously is kind of not performed, I think, up to expectations. So as O'Loughlin got more healthy, um, he he's taking those snaps back. And O'Loughlin, you know, on, both on on blocking and receiving, has just been rock solid his entire career at WVU. And you know, I'm not saying that you know I, I want him to go out there and get six catches and 70 yards every game, but you know, three or four catches a game, I think that's a good mix, and it keeps the defense guessing. So um, I'm, I, I like this mix. Um, you know, if you can get him about this amount of targets every game, you know, I think that's a, a huge improvement um, over the way that we've involved tight ends over previous years. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, you just you just have to make it a threat. You just have to make it something that defense have to respect. You know what I mean? Um but you, you mentioned the O-line a little bit earlier, but, you know, they had a great day. So let's give the O-line some love. Big props to them. And offensive line coach Matt Moore, who has taken his fair share of criticism, whether rightfully so or not. Um, so I'll give him props when he has a good day as well. JT Daniels was only sacked one time Thursday night. And I don't think any pressures, really. The line was getting a huge push in the run game as well. so. I mean, nothing but good things to say about them. How do you think they performed? Yeah, it was great to see them come together, especially against such a talented, you know, front seven. You know, maybe it's probably not as good as Pitts, but still, you know, they have some really good guys on that defense. And what they've done so far this season defensively isn't a fluke. Um, You know, we went out there and we handled business. Now, obviously, you know, maybe some of that is Doug Nestor playing with a chip on his shoulder, going back to his old stomping grounds and getting a push around some of his old uh, teammates, but, you know, nonetheless, you know, I I felt like the offensive line played really well. And, you know, the key part is, is that, you know, we're seeing other guys on the offensive line, you know, not become huge liabilities. I know we're kind of shuffling between different guys at right tackle and right guard with, you know, playing Jordan White, some um, getting to Hubbard in there. Brandon Yates is still getting some snaps. Um, you know, that's not easy, especially when Doug Nestor has to move between right guard and right tackle. But it just proves in that game that, you know, these guys are kind of getting used to the rotation. It's nice to have different guys who can switch in and out, um, especially when you don't have five guys who are studs. You have three guys who I think are really good. And you have two guys who are kind of, you know, okay. Um, so you can kind of swap guys in and out as you need to, as people need a break. Um, and you're not going to see a drop off. I, I don't think in the past year or two maybe three we've had more than five offensive linemen that deserve to play and now we have at least seven um again you know the recruiting is paying off the development is paying off um we're seeing improvement which is something that we hadn't seen from like you said matt Moore in previous years so i don't know if it's because the seat got hot or he just got the right guys but nonetheless the offensive line is showing signs of improvement and um 
that's a huge relief for me personally. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Their time of possession was 38 minutes to Virginia Tech's 21. I mean, that is gigantic. And that all starts with the offensive line, being able to protect your quarterback, being able to get push in the run game. So props to them. It all starts with the O-line. Um, my final thoughts on offense, I just want to you know, give VT's punter a little shout-out. He penned WVU back several times with some nice punts. And the Mountaineer offense kept finding ways to get out of those bad situations. I mean, that was really the story of the game is WVU had great, um, you know, field position battles. Even when Virginia Tech would pin us back, we seemed to climb our way out of that to the point where we got points. I think we even got a field goal and drove like 97 yards one time. And um, but even when they weren't getting points, they were at least getting a few first downs to win the field position battle, which, you know, last year was a huge problem. Even though our defense was good last year, our offense would always give them such bad field position that um, we lost a lot of games like that. So uh, it might seem like something that doesn't get brought up a lot. But the fact that the offense was able to climb out of those holes when they're pinned back, um, big props to them. Absolutely. Um, you know, the one thing, you know, just to touch on special teams too, is that, you know, I know you mentioned it earlier with Reese Smith muffing a punt. This is his second muff punt. And, um, you know, part, part of the, the return man's job is to know when to let a ball go and when to, when to grab it. Um, you know, I know me, like probably a, a lot of Mountaineer Nation is kind of wondering what Reese Smith has to do to lose his job there. And, you know, he, he's a fine slot receiver, but, him being at punt return now is more of a you have to hold your breath when you see the ball traveling to him rather than kind of, you know, having someone back there who is safe, you know, and that that's kind of what I thought the selling point with Reese Smith was coming into the season was, you know, yeah, he's not going to return any back for a touchdown. He's not going to get you a 20 yard return, but he's going to make the right play. He's going to play safe. And I don't think he can hold that moniker anymore. I, I think it's time to see someone new there. Um, and, and I think we have plenty of guys who could potentially return pods for us. So I'm really hoping to see a change there because, um, you know, we talked about accountability earlier with uh, Tony Mathis and, you know, it has to go across the board. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I like, Again, I heard the wind was really bad there, but I mean, that's a second muff punt in four games. That's just... I mean, and it cost us big in the Kansas game. So that, that can't be something that is happening every couple games. And like we've been saying for weeks, you got Jeremiah Aaron, who's an all-American Juco return man. Um, what are they seeing in practice that makes them not want to at least give him a shot? And as far as I know, Malshevich is the backup punt returner, I do believe, because I heard them talking about having competition during practice where Reese Punt and Miles Chavez, um were catching fair catches while teammates were throwing towels and stuff in their face. So I don't know if that was just to create a, you know, a fun game and competition at practice, or if he really is the backup guy, if Reese Smith gets pulled. But um, to me, I, I would like to see Jeremiah Aaron out there just because like you said, Reese Smith, I mean, he's okay, but even if he is, you know, cleanly catching these punts, is he really a threat to, you know, bust off a big run for you? I don't think he's done it yet this year, and he's muffed two mm -hmm. punts. So what is the upside of putting him back there at punts? 
Yeah, and it's kind of curious that Malosevich is, I think, his backup because, you know, return man is probably one of the positions that's most prone to injury. You know, you got to think people are flying down there, and if you get hit the wrong way, you're out. But he's also the holder on kicks. So um, I don't know if, you know, even if he is the second best guy, since he's the holder, it's hard to switch that in the middle of the season. So I'd rather have someone else, you know, be the backup and nothing against Malisevich, um, but he's the holder. So yeah, you got to protect him because we've seen, you know, as Steeler fans, we saw what happened with the long snapper going bad against the, in the Bengals Steelers game week one, um, one little tweak to that perfect harmony that the kicker holder and long snapper have can just break everything. And Casey like has been fantastic this year. I don't want to have to stress over field goal kicks. Yeah, I'm with you. And maybe I'm just assuming incorrectly that he's the backup, but you're right. I mean, he's more important as he's more important as the holder. So you're 100% right about that. And Casey Legg's been solid. I mean, honestly, he's probably, you know, top three candidate for special teams, big 12 player of the year at this point. So we don't want to mess up what he's doing, especially if we're going to be settling for field goals like we had to in the Virginia Tech game. You don't want to mess up that chemistry. Um, For sure. more. Yeah. So let's move on to the defense. Um, I got to give the coaching staff credit. They, they were really playing some new guys out there on defense and they were kind of trying some crazy formations. Like, I, I don't know, but it worked. I don't know if it was just because Virginia Tech's offense isn't very good, but um, uh, our defensive coaching staff was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And it was getting results. Um, so we'll see what happens next week against a really quality offense in Texas. But um, for now, you know, you can only play who's on your schedule. And they went out there and they had a good performance against a Virginia Tech team. So what's your thoughts about the defense? Yeah, I mean, starting off with the, the front seven, I think that we dominated the the line of scrimmage. And that was an area that I wasn't super concerned about because looking at you know, how, how Virginia Tech's offensive line is graded out over the year. There's only really been one guy who's been solid. Um, and, you know, we talked about last podcast where Virginia Tech's offensive line didn't really grade out really well at the run. And some of that has the play calling in. You know, I felt like there were moments where Virginia Tech changed up their play calling a little bit and pot- created potential opportunities, but it just didn't work out because they don't have the personnel to really you know, do those sorts of things. So they had to kind of stick with the run and, you know, what was it? They had more penalties than rushing yards um, oh, on Thursday, something like that. Um, and that I just goes on, to show. I like a hundred yards. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it just goes to show how dominant our front seven was. And like you said that, what was it like a, a five one where we had five guys on the line and one linebacker. Um, I like seeing that creativity because, you know, the the times where it's good to have four down linemen, sometimes it's good to have three against a more pass heavy team. Sometimes you want to load up the box and put five guys on the line, even if they're not, they're not all defensive linemen. Um, You know, I think defensive line is deepest position. So getting guys out there um, in creative ways is there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, that that's how we're going to win games, getting fresh legs out there, had getting, you know, continuously having a pool of quality guys to pull from and sub to, um, you know, I, I love this defensive line, um, you know, and thinking back to the Dana Holgerson days where 
it felt like it was hard to find a defensive lineman who, you know, wasn't going to get pushed around. And now we have what, six, seven, maybe eight guys who can come in and play and do something. So um, huge turnaround there. And I love, you know, being able to control the line of scrimmage like we did against Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'm with you. WVU only allowed 36 rushing yards. I mean, that is phenomenal. Um, The defensive front, they just absolutely manhandled Virginia Tech's offensive line. And a uh, big shout out to Jordan Jefferson. Just another big game that, you know, if you look at his stats, four tackles, one tackle for a loss, that doesn't really jump off the page, but he was absolutely dominating the line of scrimmage. And, um, you know, the proof is in the numbers. He was the top PFF defensive player for the Mountaineers that game. He was opening up holes for linebackers and guys behind him. So, I mean, you could really make an argument that he's been West Virginia's best defensive player these last few games. Just, I mean, he's just been on a tear, and I hope he keeps it up against a tough Texas team because obviously Texas is going to want to run Robinson a lot. So um, if if WVU's defense can have another um, – dominant performance up front that'll go a long way in us winning first texas yeah and another thing to kind of point out too is that while we did only have one sack there were a lot of times where we were getting into grant wells face especially when we were pressuring him um he was hurried five times um so you know compared to wvu or jt daniels only being or not being hurried at all um during the entire game um and getting sacked once so we were in the backfield. Maybe we didn't finish, but against guys like Grant Wells and guys who are, you know, more comfortable running or having a clean pocket, um, just getting back there and being disruptive is good enough. And I think, you know, Jefferson and, and Stills and crew have done a great job of doing that all year. Um, and I really hope that, you know, some of these guys get some credit for what they're doing this year because maybe they don't have the counting stats, but they have the impact to the game and arguably that's more important than the numbers that you put on a piece of paper. Yeah. I mean, twice Grant Wells had guys open by like 10 yards and he missed them. And I know for at least one of those, the reason he missed them is because Sean Martin was right in his face and he couldn't step into his throw. So yeah, that, I mean, that doesn't always show up on a stat sheet, but you just saved seven points by doing that. So absolutely, um, 100%. Uh, another guy that we obviously have to give a shout out to is Jacoby Spells, um, our boy who we've been we've been shouting from the rooftops for several weeks to get him in there. Let's see what he's got because the secondary wasn't performing, but um, you know he got a chance to play and really he's got a, a lot of snaps these past two weeks. And um, you know although WVU secondary looked bad at the beginning of the game, um, overall just as a team effort, they all pulled it together and spells even had a pick six to really just put V tech completely out of it. Love seeing that. That was honestly, um, I didn't even think about this, but that was WVU's first pick all year long. I didn't even realize that until, you know, after the game, but um, you know, what are your thoughts about the secondary bouncing back after a rough start? Yeah. I mean, I, I think early on in the game, I felt like, Virginia Tech was coming close to breaking through and making things a game. There were numbers, numerous times where, you know, you even alluded to it where they had guys open the field and Wells was that close to, to hitting someone for a big play. 
Um, there were times where it seemed like they wanted to, you know, go up tempo and start passing the ball. Unfortunately, they just didn't, they couldn't sustain those drives and we were able to kind of, you know, get our feet underneath of us and stabilize. But I also think, you know, seeing what Jacoby spells did, um, really kind of showed that he's someone who deserves to get more playing time because even though Virginia tech wasn't able to capitalize on some of the mistakes we had in the secondary guys like Ajayi and McCormick and, and crew were still getting beat against a Virginia tech team who frankly just doesn't have very many good receivers. So, you know, they were getting beat all season long by every team that we've played against. I think McCormick has been better than Ajayi, but Ajayi and, you know, he's probably a great kid, probably a great student, but he's just not a great cornerback right now. Um, And he is, I think a fifth year senior. He's a transfer from a smaller school. Um, and it's just not working. And Jacoby Spells has kind of the pedigree. And, you know, he came in and didn't play the whole game. He played, I, I don't, didn't look at the snap counts, but probably about half the snaps, I think. Uh, and he made a play, you know, and he wasn't getting beat deep, at least that you could noticeably see. They weren't targeting him. Um, even on that pick, they weren't really targeting him. He jumped in and made the play. So, um you know, he's someone that we definitely need to see more of, and, and we need to see him full time. I think, even though he is a freshman and he may, you know, not have the conditioning needed to play a full four quarters, you're playing him as many snaps as he is capable of playing, I think, is crucial to the secondary success for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, we talked about how Jordan Jefferson was the highest PFF for a West Virginia defensive player that game. Spells was second on that list. And I know Spells did have mistakes. Like um, he was one of the guys that got burnt by Christian Moss. And that's, you know, one of the throws that Grant Wells way overthrew. And um, so he lucked out because he might've gave up an easy seven there, but he is young. He's a freshman. He is going to make mistakes, but um, I mean, that's how he's going to learn. Like you alluded to earlier, some of the guys who've gotten a lot of playing time, they just don't seem to be greatly improving. Whereas you have this young guy who's going to go in, he's also going to make mistakes, but he's also going to be aggressive. I mean, how often do you see West Virginia's defensive zone kind of sit back, allow underneath passes that go for first downs, and then they come up and tackle. Whereas, you know, spells could have easily did that on that play, but man, he was aggressive. He saw Wells eyes and he just went for it. And sometimes if, if, if you're a defense that's going to give up a lot of points, you do need to be aggressive and force turnovers. So, I mean, like you said, he, he can't start all the time. He can't play every snap count. He's a true freshman. That probably wouldn't be a great idea, but I would love to see his snap counts go up little by little each game and just keep getting him experience. And who knows, maybe by next year, you got another Charles Woods on your hand. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I think it'd be great to, you know, for the guys who are underperforming, you know, the guys who are underperforming in our secondary are older guys. They're guys who have been around the block. You kind of know what they are, but that's kind of, you know, their faults are their faults that are not going to really grow that much more as a player at this level, I don't think. So, you know, obviously I think Spells has earned, you know, a majority of the snaps at one of the corners position. And obviously when Charles Woods, comes back, he deserves them. But when you give, give those guys a break, if you want to play McCormick, you want to play Ajayi, you want to you know, rotate in Wilson Lamp, you want to rotate in 
you know, these other guys, it doesn't hurt to share the, the remainder of the snaps between four or five different guys and just try to figure out who works because, you know, guys like Mumu Ben Wanhad and um, uh, Wilson Lamp and, and even Spells aren't going to get better just by practice alone. I think these guys are guys who played at such a high level in high school that getting them in real game action is going to really help raise their ceiling because they're going to be able to learn from real world mistakes. And that's kind of how we're going to figure out if these guys are real quality players or if they were just, you know, great on some recruiting website. So give them an opportunity to, to sink or swim. And, you know, then if we bitch and say, well, this guy shouldn't be playing because he's failing, then, you know, then play McCormick and Ajayi. But until yeah. then, you know, give everyone a fair shot. At least you tried. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, just to round out um, some of the our thoughts on defense, Tech was only 2 for 10 on third down and 0 for 2 on fourth down. So, again, our defense was just phenomenal. Big props to them. I mean, we're rough on them when they have bad games, so – I'm going to give them as much praise as possible when they perform well. And in the past two games, West Virginia's defense has only allowed 10 points. Because once again, remember, Towson, that seven points was from a kickoff. So in two games, the defense has really bounced back, only allowed two scores. And, um, you know, obviously they weren't great offenses. But, um, I mean, this this could be huge confident booster heading into that Texas game where they are going to be challenged. So, you love to see it, and hopefully this is where they turn the corner this year. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just a few things we want to talk about. Neil Brown, um, you know, I, I saw some people online complaining about this, was kind of milking the clock with about 13 minutes to go in that game with um, WVU only up 23-10, to 10, which, you know, it's still a relatively close game. Um, so just kind of break it down. They dialed up a pass that gained 27 yards to Reese Smith, and then they never passed the ball again for the next 13 minutes. The Mountaineers were in field goal range after that pass, um, but they ran it three straight times to end the drive. Even on third and six, they decided to just run it and take the field goal. Um, but you know what? After that, the run game was working. They finished the game with nine straight runs before kneeling it down and they were picking up first downs and moving the ball. So I get it. Um, you know, he was just trying to get out of there. I don't have a huge problem with it in this game. The game seemed out of hand. Virginia Tech, you know, they're not a very good team offensively, so you don't have to worry about them, you know, putting up 21 points in a couple minutes. Um, and like we said, the run game was working. So it wasn't like you were just going three and out and punting. And here's the other big thing. WVU was coming off of a short week. And so, you know, why drag out the game? Run that clock, get out of there healthy, get ready for Texas. That's kind of my thoughts on it. I can see that to a point. But I think with that amount of time, even as anemic of an offense Virginia Tech has or an opponent may have, you're only one mistake away from it being a ball game and completely flipping momentum on the road. So, you know, I would have been fine with it if you're up three scores, but with two scores, I still think in my opinion is to get a, you know, be aggressive for one more drive, score another touchdown. And if you're up three scores with 10 minutes left, eight minutes left, whatever, 
you know, you can run the ball more. You can, you know, maybe even play some backups at that point in time. Um, maybe not across the board, but, you know, get some fresh faces in there, get some fresh legs in there that you're not worried about um, getting injured or things like that. But um, to me, you know, just knowing how college football is, we, we've all seen situations where a comfortable situation can flip in 10 seconds and knowing how many times WVU has faltered, you know, Pitt, Kansas, those all flipped in 10 seconds. Um, they'll, you know, you, someone fumbles, someone misses a block, anything like that happens and they return it to the house lane stadium lights up and then it's a ball game again. Um, with three scores, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe it was, you know, kind of to your point, a short week and just wanting to get out of there. But, you know, it, it comes back to my, my thoughts that I've said several times over this past season was the killer instinct. You know, you got to go in there and finish. You got to finish them. Um, I'm not asking for them to go out there and try to bury teams by 40 points every game, although it'd be nice, but finish off a team, put them in a situation where they just can't come back and a mistake isn't going to put you behind the eight ball. Um, that's really my own, only concern with trying to drain the clock with that much time left in the fourth. And I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, I've definitely done my fair share of saying Neil Brown doesn't have that killer instinct. And I mean, I'll give him credit where credit is due. He went for it on fourth down twice that game, converted one to Prather. The second one, VT bailed us out with a roughing the passer call. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll give him a pass just because, like I said, it's a short week. He was probably just trying to get out of there with everyone still healthy. Um, you know, I, I, I have been guilty of making up excuses for him in the past, and this is another <laughs> case of me doing that. I'll just be yeah, honest. I'm hoping it's not something that rears its head again. Um, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, we go into Texas and we have the opportunity to really just put our foot foot on their neck and we, we do it. Um, that's the one thing that, you know, while we, I've seen a lot of improvement from Neil Brown, that's kind of the one thing that I think that he's lacking. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, thinking about Dana for all of his faults, he wasn't afraid to go out there and just pour on points and just score until the game was over. Um, yeah, and but, everyone loved know. that about him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, if if you could, you know, take two pieces of coaches, you know, you could take that piece of Dana <laughs> and give it to Neil. I think we'd be a lot better off, um, and my heart would be a lot more healthy. yeah yeah if you can make a coach that would be a good mixture right there um so yeah i mean overall just to close this out i mean it was a good win but let's be honest wv wvu fans expected to win that game i mean even vegas had the mountaineers as two-point favorites on the road which you don't see too often on a thursday night game so vt is just not very good this year the real test for me will be this saturday a night game in texas um, if you can win at Texas or even bounce back and win at home against a very good Baylor team, I think that's when I'll really start getting excited about the potential. Of this team. Um, but regardless, this win was absolutely satisfying. And it's nice to put it on Virginia Tech because I, I think I heard we can't even play them again till like 2031. 
because I think, Jeez. you know, just the way our schedules are already filled, like it, it's not even possible until then. So it's nice to know that the Black Diamond Trophy is going to be in Morgantown for, you know, the foreseeable future. Definitely. Yeah. So um, just to wrap this all up, I wanted to talk about the Inner Sandman entrance for Virginia Tech because, um, you know, some people were complaining online how ESPN showed it. Some people said, even though it's an opponent, we love it. This is what makes college football special. So I'm going to just throw it to you and get your initial thoughts. Overrated, underrated, or right where it should be. What do you think about the Inner Sandman entrance? Um. I mean, I think it's good for a period of time. I'm all for traditions, but I don't think, in my opinion, it really makes sense to have a – I mean, maybe I'm biased as a WVU fan, but, you know, having the same entrance song year after year after year, I think it kind of kills the crowd momentum to some point. Um. And I mean, in other situations too, like you can argue that it doesn't when you think of like Renegade playing in the fourth quarter in Heinz Field. It's a great but, example. Yeah. So I mean, that's a really tough question because it really depends on, I guess, the the history and the tradition behind it. Like what's that? How does it, how impactful is that to Virginia Tech? Um in their fan base. Cause you know, as an outsider, I could care less, you know, what <laughs> they come out for. Um, honestly, I think it's kind of maybe a little cliche and corny for someone to come out to something like that. Um, not that I'm saying WVU picks the best songs to come out to, but um, you know, I, I like understand man. It's a good song. It's a great song, but you know, it's probably overplayed. Um, I better Metallica songs, but it also depends on kind of the the tradition around it. So but yeah, I wouldn't be in the camp of saying that, you know, this is the worst thing ever. Let's make fun of them sort of camp. It's, you know, a, a, a few tears down from that. So, yeah, I'm I'm that it's right where it should be. You know, honestly, I liked watching it on TV. I know, like I said, people complained and ridiculed ESPN for it because ESPN stayed quiet for two minutes just to show it and just to let you be able to hear the fans. And honestly, I got pumped just watching it, even though that's, you know, my team's rival and I don't like Virginia Tech. To me, that got me hyped up for the game as a West Virginia fan, you know, seeing the crowd jumping. That's why college sports is great because everyone's so involved and excited. So, and I'll put it this way. Would you rather see a cool entrance and everyone getting fired up and ready to watch football? Or would you rather listen to two more minutes of the announcers just rambling about stuff that you just already heard for 15 minutes prior to the game. If you're watching the pregame to me, I wish they would do that before every football game, just get quiet and let's, let you be able to see the teams come out, whether we're on the road, whether we're home to me, that gets me fired up watching that. Oh, for sure. I can definitely get behind that. I, I definitely think, you know, for the, the hardcore college football fans, you know, I, I it would, the viewing experience so much to have 
entrance entrances shown, the after game shown, shown, especially home games when they win. You know, thinking of country roads, but every you know school has their own kind of song that they play after a win or some sort of series of events that they do, um, and that's what makes it special. I mean, if we wanted to get crazy, like you know, if you wanted to just load up on commercials, you know, in between kickoffs and things like that, you know, show the show the bands at halftime because that's an experience in itself too. Um, you know, there's something special about the college environment and all the different things that come to it that you just can't get through television. Um, and it's great that ESPN took the time to do that. You know, I think that's fantastic. Um, I think it should probably be done more um, in a time where, you know, watching a football game could sometimes take four hours because of all of the commercials and breaks. I, I think it adds another level. It, it, you know, it breaks the barrier a little bit whenever you're able to show that college football environment through the TV and makes it feel a little bit more feel less, uh, less corporate, I guess you could say. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, obviously I'm biased. I think WVU singing country roads at the end of a game is probably the best tradition in college sports. Obviously I'm Mountaineer fans going to say that, but uh, you know, I love it and it would be cool if they showed that at the end of games, but I get it. You know, Typically, as the game's wrapping up, they're trying to jump to the next game that might have already started. So I understand why that could be an issue. But, um, yeah, I mean, showing the entrances, whether it's for us or against us, I'd rather see that than then just rambling about absolute nonsense prior to the game. So that's yeah, my opinion. Go ahead. Yeah, and the fight songs, too. I mean, you know, I just thinking about back about the college football games, you know, just – uh, there's probably so many college songs I know just from playing those games and sitting there humming along with them as you're playing, you know, it's another thing that makes college football special. And while I, I think there are bits and pieces where, you know, ESPN or whoever's covering the game will show things like that. It's definitely glossed over for stupid things from sideline reporters or people in the booth or whatever else. Um, you know, honestly, like if they, had like a, I don't know what you would call, it, but like a Sunday ticket sort of thing where it was just uninterrupted and you got to watch the whole game beginning to the end, the whole experience and minimal commentary, just enough to kind of explain what's going on in the game, but not interrupt from what's going on in the field and in the stands. That's the subscription service I would consider signing up for. Yeah, and with them going with streaming, that's probably something they could do, honestly, because you could just hop over to any game you wanted at any time. Oh, yeah. And it'd be fun, too. I mean, I don't know. It's just um, ESPN will never do it. But, you know, no. Fox Sport, um, I don't know whoever else shows college football games. Get on it. All right, you guys. Know, that's, that's it for us. Let's get into the Texas um, breakdown of that game. So um, go ahead and jump over to that episode. Thanks for listening to this one, guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.